Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Joost van Duren. He is the Managing Director of Superdata Research, and we are going to talk to him about uh, a report he did called Fashion's Night Out, Hearts Foursquare, and it was about how uh, people checked in and traffic patterns during Fashion Week in New York City. Joost, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So tell us about this research you did uh, about Fashion's Night Out in New York City. Well, it, it actually started with, um, we went out last Friday, and uh, it occurred to me that there was a, a disproportionate number of people out on the street. Uh, I'm, I'm not much of a fashion buff myself. I'm more of a, a number cruncher. And I, uh, so I, I stayed outside with my friends. It was a nice night. And there's all these people, really well-dressed people, walking around in the street. So I say, I'm saying to myself, I, th- there's something going on that I don't know about. So... Uh, I'm, I'm good friends with the founders of Fortress, so of course, you know, that, that's, that, that's one of the things that always uh, ends up being part of the discussion. So I check in on Foursquare, and so I see on my phone that the area where I was in, that, that, where we were having a dinner, um, was trending, as they call it. And that means that basically there's a whole bunch of people all checking in at the same location. And so now I'm figuring out that this is, in fact, fashion's night out. I had no idea. I just thought it was sort of a random cluster of well-dressed people. And so then later on, I'm, when I'm back in the office, I, uh, what I did is I compiled some of the numbers. Uh, so I looked up all the participating venues, and then we said, okay, let's take a look at what happened here. And really just to get a sense of, you know, what is the dynamic of this sort of spontaneous crowd that can, uh, consolidates and congregates in the middle of the street, you know, from, you know, and is walking from one retailer to the next. And then all of a sudden, you start to see these traffic patterns. And so that was really, it was you know, these, these kinds of reports, you put them out, mostly because you're kind of curious as to what's going on around you. And it's, for me as a researcher, it's been very interesting to, to have this tool available to, to you know, visualize or, or quantify these type of outdoor events. There's uh, a lot of ways to measure traffic, of course, you know, but to have it in real time from hour to hour, be able to compare what venue or what retailer or what bar or restaurant is the most popular during a certain uh, certain event or whatever is, I think, a very powerful tool. And just to be able to map that out and give it some color, that is what led to the report uh, in general. And, of course, to be frank, it's a, like I said, it's a little bit of a curiosity for me, so that's, that's why we ran it. But there's obviously some more uh, serious and, and uh, more commercial uh, implications here as well. So uh, the event is called Fashion's Night Out. Um, for those of you who don't know, it was Fashion Week in New York uh, last week. And so this is a, uh, uh, you know, an event that's designed to get people out and get people excited about fashion. On your report, um, uh, you, you say that fashion is the second largest business sector in New York and that it's linked to the city's nightlife. There were more than 1,300 and 47 participating retailers, and uh, you basically mapped who was checking in both at the participating venues against all of New York. And what, what were some of the things that you found that, that were interesting to you? 
So to start off, we we ran the data for only a, a section of the city because it was a because of the short turnaround. It's a it's a lot of work, right? So to to do all fourteen hundred venues would have been a little bit beyond sort of what we were trying to accomplish, but. Uh, it takes place uh, in, throughout the entire city. Uh, there's part Brooklyn and, and most of Manhattan. Um, and so we said, well, let's compare a few areas. So we so we collected all the venues that participated in the East Village, in the Meatpacking District, and in Soho, which in and of themselves are uh, comparable but different enough of, an, of a, uh, different enough neighborhoods to sort of say, okay, let's see what what the different crowds are that go, uh, you know, that come to this, and. Um, what happened was we, I, I forget, I think it's about 100,000 check-ins total that we collected and sort of scrubbed and cleaned. We say, okay, which, which stores here? So you have these, you know, these, these very fancy boutiques in Soho, and you have more grungy kind of places in East Village. Which ones are actually getting most of the traction as a result of Fashion's Night Out, as a result of the huge campaign that is Fashion Week? Because ultimately, of course, it is sort of a kickoff of the season, but at the same time, it's a huge promotional event. So, okay, uh, that's all very nice, but how do we actually quantify uh, some kind of traffic pattern here? And I think uh, by just looking at a slice of this, and, you know, you can imagine that you could do this uh, for the whole city or you could make uh, comparisons between cities too. Uh, did you say, well, how do you, uh, in these spontaneous outdoor events, how do you actually measure any of the success? How much your return on investment in, in, a, in a more uh, serious tone of having all this PR out there and then how much traffic does that drive to my stores and, and, and where do people go and, and what is it that, uh, that, people, that, that attracts people mostly? Uh, one of the things we didn't put in there was um, a breakdown of the categories, by, uh, of the venues by category, right? And so apparel is number one. Uh, but then, you know, women's, women's Stores are much higher, much more popular than, say, men's stores. Uh, shoe stores are very popular. Jewelry, not so much. And so you can kind of see, uh, you know, for, for the organization behind Fashion Week, that you can imagine, well, you know, maybe we could attract more jewelry stores. Maybe we can uh, uh, spread it out a little bit further and, and consult and really pull in uh, more retailers and, and build traffic that way. And so it just... In a nutshell, I guess it's it's a way to quantify something that otherwise would be is too spontaneous and too ubiquitous to measure. Now, you found that um, traffic at the participating venues peaked around six p.m., but when you looked at the uh, traffic pattern for all of New York, you saw it peaking later at uh, you know almost ten p.m. But doesn't that that seems pretty logical because you figure the events would be earlier, right? And then people would go on to some sort of a venue to hang out. Exactly. But so, of course, it, it, some of these are, have also regular retail hours, right? So I think what, what was there is sort of two different crowds, you know, people that really go for the shopping experience and, and you know, want to see the stores, and then there is more of the congregating and, the, you know, that leads over into the nightlife. And I think that's why you have two different uh, waves of, of, of checking, so to say. So I think you're right. That the first, it's it's pretty obvious that that's you know just people participating in the event, and as that starts to die down, people then move on and say, okay, and now I want to attach some dinner to this, or now I want to uh, go to have a go have a drink at some bar, and you see this pick up afterwards, and so it really then becomes a whole night of of fashion related activities. 
Interestingly enough, uh, you, you, you noticed that the long tail, uh, after 11 p.m., 30, uh, almost 31% of the check-ins were after 11 p.m. But when you look at the um, graph that you prepared, you know, that clearly is sort of the long tail trailing off into the wee hours of the morn. Exactly. exactly. So there's, there's a lot more going on, uh, I say. You know, it doesn't just stop because the, the stores close. And then, you know, just like every other party, is, you know, there's always an after party. And so I think that that's very interesting if you think about retailers that may not necessarily be participating during the regular fashion night, uh, fashion night out. But, you know, there could be a lot of secondary stuff afterwards in, in the same way that after going to a club, you go to an after party or whatever in, in, in a different setting. So in that way, uh, I think there's a, you know, it, it suggests to me that there is a, a, uh, an opportunity to extend sort of the, the fashion experience and sort of, you know, tie, you know why isn't there some, some uh, string of uh, fashion clubbing events that follow on the retail events? For right? and so those so those are some of the suggest, you know, the opportunities that that you can see uh, emerge from the data. We're talking to Joost van Druren. He's the managing director with Super Data Research. And when we get back, we're going to read for you uh, the list of which designers had the most check-ins during Fashion Week in New York City. Stay with us. This January 2011, Paul Gillen and Eric Schwartzman bring you the first book devoted exclusively to B2B social media communications. Packed with business-to-business case studies and applied knowledge, Social Marketing to the Business Customer is the most comprehensive collection of B2B social media marketing guidance ever assembled. B2B markets are driven by value and relationships. That's very different from B2C markets. This book's a hands-on guide. It walks business people step-by-step through the process of using social media to find and engage business customers and ultimately drive more revenue. Social Marketing to the Business Customer is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and Borders. Or buy it at our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. Also available for iPad and Kindle. Interestingly enough, you ran this graph of um, the venues that had the most check-ins, so I'll read it here. Uh, the top-ranking um, venue was Theory, and that had 4.7% of traffic in Manhattan. Next was Chanel at 4.2%, then Catherine Molendrino with 3.8%, Tory Burch with 3.1%, Top Shop with 3%, Alexander McQueen with 2.7%, Prada with 26 Ralph Lauren with 2.6, Helmut Lang with 2.6, and uh, number 10, Diane von Furstenberg with 2.5% of the traffic for that night. You know, I am not a fashionista either, but, you know, my wife is, and I shared this data with her, and she was surprised that Marc Jacobs wasn't on here. Well, uh, you caught me. I'm not a fashionista myself. I, I, I really just looked at the numbers. Uh, one thing that does, I think that that's a great observation. Like, you know, why isn't it? And, and I think that for a retailer, uh, you know, to, to put it like that, is to say, well, why aren't you in there? You know, it, um, I, I can't make the data say something that's not in there, obviously. You, know, you can't, I can't fudge the numbers like this. But, so, so why isn't that? 
case? And, and why is it that some retailers aren't in there? And I think that that's part of the opportunity. That clearly, there is traffic here. I mean, and you see immediately based on uh, the names in this list, uh, this is not. Uh, this, uh, this, these are not small places. These are well-known big fashion brands. So clearly, that drives a lot of attention. Drives a lot of traffic. And you have to imagine that when people check in, what they do is it's not so much a relationship between them and the and the venue. It is mostly about the relationship between them and their friends, right? So it's, it broadcasts a message on their on their friends list, uh, either just on Foursquare, but it can also be connected to Facebook and Twitter. So it, it has a potential to reach you know hundreds of thousands of people, um, displaying a message saying, "Okay, I just checked in at Prada on Broadway." You know, I'm at Fashion Side Out. Whoop to do with a big deal, and I think that that's that sort of, you know, this very organic uh, bottom-up type of uh, uh, promotion, this this uh, this groundswell of, 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 you know, basically it's a it's it's a, it's a great way for brands to have their name out there in a very credible, very casual, uh, non-threatening kind of way. And so, yeah, why aren't they making use of that opportunity? Why are they not are listed in here? You know, and and I think. It, uh, it consolidates very easy. So this is the, the numbers that you that you just uh, read off. Those are for Lower Manhattan, obviously, right? So there, uh, uptown, there was a lot more going on as well. Uh, I think overall, it's really interesting to see that there is actually, I mean, 4.7% for theory or even for Chanel and in, so in 4.2%. That's a, that's a lot of traffic, you know what I mean? So these are this is hundreds of people coming to your store. Uh, there is a real opportunity to 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 use it as advertising, use it as a marketing, as a PR tool, and so yeah, you have to ask yourself why why aren't some of these well-known stores in here? Well, I mean, y- you look at these numbers and you say to yourself, well, this is almost like a populist confirmation of the brand, but if you look at the brand from the standpoint of exclusivity, um, you know, I would imagine if you're in the front row. At a fashion show, you're probably not four squaring, anyways. No, um, we had a different theories of why Mark Jacobs didn't trend. And if there's anyone listening to this podcast that knows, let us know, please. Uh, but our theory was, um, and I know this is the case now, at a number of exclusive spots, night spots in Manhattan. Now, you have to actually leave your phone at the door mm-hmm. because there's such a, a high volume of celebrities there that they want to give people the ability to relax and not have to worry about having their picture taken. I, I, I think it probably has some, and I think that, that, that is probably a very practical and sort of common sense way of explaining that. And, and that's probably one of the reasons it's that way. Uh, uh, on, the, on the point of Marc Jacobs, they were for one of the first fashion brands to actually embrace Foursquare for a particular promotion. And this was already, a, you know, in internet time, it was, an, it was eons ago, but I think it was a couple of months. It was, um, you know, and they did uh, some kind of discount special where you check in and blah, blah, blah. You get, you get some uh, percentage off your purchases. I think that that is, um, you know, so it, it will probably have to be something practical. like no phones inside because of X, Y, Z rather than people not being familiar. And so then, you know, then clearly a brand makes a decision. They make a choice on, on how to, to manage them. Now, you did a report as well on traffic patterns at Whole Foods versus Trader Joe's. Correct. Um, tell us a little bit about that study. So, really, the idea is, is you know, uh, so I'll give you a little bit of background and then I'll jump into that. So, uh, some of what I've been doing over the last uh, five years is I've been working with uh, uh, 
a variety of companies really measuring online uh, discussion, right? So uh, I was at a company called Buzzmetrics before it was acquired by Nielsen, and you know that was really that was the time when social media was still called user-generated content. Uh, some people remember this, some people won't, but that was really where a lot of marketing and advertising dollars went, saying, "Okay, we want to know what people are talking about online." And you know, this started, I think, maybe even ten years as far back as, as ten years ago, where there would be a, a serious commercial. Uh, initiative to consolidate and, and analyze that type of data, saying what are people saying about my brand and so on. So, okay, having seen that whole, uh, that, that whole evolution, um, I've kind of felt like, okay, so now we have location-based services. Yeah, well, that's very nice. That's, let's, let's look at that. And, and, and as soon as you plug in, so we, I talked to Foursquare and said, okay, so let's have some data. So they plug me in. Immediately, you're just overwhelmed by the amount of information, which is no different than what it used to be five years ago with the message boards and, the, and, and a few years ago with the blogs. There's just so much data out there. It's, it's just, it's a little bit much. So, but you tend to think and say, well, more data is better. You know, more data gives more information, allows me to make better decisions and so on. I think what it really means is you have to qualify this stuff. And so that's where the Whole Foods study came in. We, said, we really sat down and said, okay. Uh, people checking in at Whole Foods, so what? You know, what's, what's, what's the relevance here? And so we just then ran a bunch of numbers. Like, is, is there a way to use this data in a way that makes sense for uh, a retailer? Um, is this, uh, or is it just more conversation, right? And I think that what came out of the study, it was, you know, there, there are some limitations to some of it, of course, but... Um, eventually we were able to, to build a model where you say, okay, now I can see all the grocery store traffic, all the check-ins in a five-mart radius from this particular Whole Foods outlet on 7th Avenue and see, you know, what time those people are checking in and when they are checking in at that store and whether or not those things overlap. If they do overlap, great. If they don't, well, clearly there's an opportunity there for that particular store to do better. So maybe they are missing out on the lunch crowd. Well, so then you have to ask, what, what are the offerings on the shelves? Are they not offering an attractive enough lunch? Or is there maybe a, a competitor close by that is taking a lot of their lunch uh, crowd away from them and so on? Yeah, you can do store-to-store comparisons. So what about Trader Joe's versus Whole Food? Who's getting dinner traffic? Who's getting lunch and breakfast traffic and so on? So I think that there is a lot to say for using uh, data that is uh, very, very localized. Because it is a very unique way. You know, of course, I can't tell anything uh, to Whole Foods about Whole Foods. Whole Foods knows exactly what they have in store. It's, it's um, you know, they have all the receipts. They see what people buy. They see, they count around store traffic and so on. But what they don't know is what their competitors doing. And so this is a perfect way to do exactly that. You can measure yourself against, first of all, uh, the larger market in your small local area. And second of all, to that direct competitor down the block. You know, so and whether that's you being Whole Foods or whether you're a dive bar or whether you are a restaurant with a Michelin star, doesn't matter. You can it it gives you a point of comparison and gives you a sense of your market share. So that so that was really the the, the rationale behind that study, saying, well, let's see if we can get some value out of this and, and how would we apply this. In terms of getting your arms around that data, I mean, is that something anybody can look at or do you have to purchase that data from Foursquare? How does that work? Um, the, the, the raw data is, is uh, uh, that's not available. Uh, uh, it's also, <laughs> to be honest, uh, 
I can tell you, you also don't want that because uh, that, that's one of the headaches that I deal with is that, you know, what do you do with all that data? So right now we're pulling in almost uh, 2 million uh, check-ins a day, and you have to imagine that a single check-in is only a few, you know, kilobytes of data, information. But so you multiply that by 2 million, and then you multiply it by the days of the week and so on. Uh, it gets very big very quickly. And then, you know, storing it is one thing, but then you also have to clean it up and scrub it and, and then analyze it. So we had to uh, install uh, a database programmer here over the summer because, you know, you can't just pull in a bunch of numbers and make a pretty Excel spreadsheet. You're really talking about something that is of an order of magnitude vastly larger. So you, you have to come with some sophisticated equipment to, just to be able to wield the data. And then, you know, by the time you get to slicing it, you've, you've already answered so many technical questions that, you, you know, that's, that's a very exhaustive process. So, so that's what we do. Uh, and we have direct access to uh, a, a, set of, a subset of the Foursquare data um, for a lot of privacy reasons. They keep some of it locked out. Um, I don't, uh, uh, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to give away too much privacy information. I think Facebook has, has suffered the consequences of, 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 of that scrutiny. So we, we do aggregate patterns, and I think that that's where the, where the value is for most uh, um, for most venues, really, uh, you don't want to have to go through this all by yourself. You don't want to have to, if you were to plug in and sort of look selectively at certain things, you would have to parse so much data that by the time that you actually get something useful out of it, 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 it doesn't scale in terms of, of setting it up. So that's, and that's in, 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 in response to that, that's kind of the business model we're working with, saying, let us do that for you and we'll just give you what you actually are interested in and we'll take care of the rest. Do you have any recommendations for smaller organizations that want to glean useful business intelligence from Foursquare but maybe aren't in a position to be able to hire a professional research firm to crunch the numbers for them? Uh, sure. I mean, there is there is actually – Foursquare itself is, is pretty open to, to working with people. They, they are also incredibly overwhelmed, of course, because of what they're doing right now. But it's uh, – so I think appro approaching them the, uh, yourself is a, is a good way to do it. Uh, they are usually willing to work with people, and they, and they give you, if, if you are a venue owner, they will give you uh, a dashboard that shows you who are your most frequent visitors, and, and they show you some traffic uh, patterns. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, I think, uh, you know, you have to be, be selective about what you want to do. I mean, think of this as, uh, you know, you spend your money so that you can figure out whether or not your return on investment is, is worth your time. So uh, that said, it's, I don't think it's very expensive to do this kind of stuff. It can be very easy. Some of the, so once you have the technology in place, it's very easy to, to run it. So I don't think you need to think uh, of the order of magnitude of traditional uh, market research. I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much lower price point. But, you know, it requires a little bit of, of, of expertise in, in, in buying it up and extracting it. So that's... You know, so that so that's sort of the, the give and take there. On the one hand, yes, it's really interesting. At the same time, yeah, do you want to do, do it all yourself? Probably not. Just van Druren from Superdata Research. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com. 
on Twitter at OnTheRecord, or send email to OnTheRecordPodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.